0: There's 25 to the 30. Benson, 35, around the edge. 40, 50, 40. Skip the tackle. 30, 20,
1: 15, 10. Can he get in? Try in the baby! Touchdown, Florida State. Touchdown, F.
2: Florida State football is 4-0 and ranked for the first time in four years. It is a good evening to you and how you be. William Haynes here. You are there at 7.02 on another Victory Monday night. You're listening to Tomahawk Talk, the weekly sports power hour on the voice of Florida State, 89.7 FM, uh, WVFS. Tallahassee. You can also stream us online at wvfs.fsu.edu, and of course, as you probably already know, uh, available the next day as a podcast wherever you listen to those. Have a great slate for you tonight, Florida State football beats Boston College by a score of 44 to 14. At at, at about 725, we'll have a guest uh, from the Wake Forest student paper, Ian Stephenson, the sports editor of the old Golden Blacks. So we'll have him on the air to talk about all things that Wake Forest game. They are having certainly an interesting season. They uh, took Clemson to double overtime and they lost in Winston-Salem a week ago, but they're still ranked. So we will preview that game as well after the telephone call. Jack Oliaro with Seminole segment around 735. Uh, The soccer team had a couple of ACC wins at home, so they are on a roll with head coach Brian Penske. Uh, We have a couple quotes from him during that segment, volleyball. They played the number three team in the land, I know. They played their first game ever in program history on the main ESPN channel, so some big things going on at florida state sports and uh he'll have some stuff for the football recruiting trail as well and then to finish things off some sunshine slate that we've been doing so far this nfl season where we tell you about the three nfl teams they're all in first place so no better time than right now to talk about those teams than uh, some other major headlines around the national football league so that's the slate for today Uh, make sure you stick around for the whole show because it will be a good one but kicking it off with our group in the studio tonight. I'm the host William Haynes. To my left, our co-host Jackson Bankhead. Jackson, we had a great weekend. I know we hung out. We watched some football on Saturday. Uh, parents' weekend. You, you, I think you did not lose an entire game at the pong table. You ran uh, the entire room with that. Not only would you beat kids, but their parents would step up and you would beat them too. I've never seen anything like that. That level of domination.
3: Well, I, I'll tell you what. First of all, you know it was water pong for our listeners at of home. Of course. You know I, I am. Uh, under twenty one, so it was Wanderpong. pong. Um, however, uh, no mercy. No. no, that's 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 my way of approaching extracurriculars. Like and Michael Jordan, really? Exactly right. And, and there's nothing. There, there would be no respect if I went easy on anybody. And I think I think everybody understands that. Um, so you know, to the Brennans, to the Parkers, uh, those are the parents that we had over. Uh, I'm not sorry. But uh, I'm excited for y'all to, uh, to practice and uh, come back to the, to the table later on in the season.
2: When you step in the room with Jackson Bakage, that's the result you're going to get. And uh, just another note about parents weekend. I don't know what it is about Florida, Florida State, Tallahassee. It's, it's always an adventure every year. It was cool hanging out with uh, the parents and some friends of mine. But at the game... In the stands of Dope Campbell Stadium, I mean mothers vaping in the stands with their daughters—everything that um, we we have come to know and love. It was just—I I don't know—it—it—I it, find it hilarious—and uh, it was another good year in the books. And I've, probably for the first time in a while, they're able to win the Parents Weekend game. We might be having a homecoming game here. We'll talk about that. Well, Syracuse last year. As Can't the show about goes on, last year—that's true. Barely by the skin of our teeth that we beat Syracuse for. Uh, was that our first win of the year? I believe it was. Yes, sir, it was. But uh, moving on to our panelists tonight, to my right. We'll start with Ian Hughes. Ian, you were on the show a couple weeks ago. You had some great Miami Dolphins takes, some great Tua Tunga-Vailoa takes, and all they have proceeded to do since you were on the show was win some football games. They're the only undefeated team in the AFC and they look like one of the best teams in the land right now.
0: Indeed they do. It's very nice to feel vindicated at this point in the season for once in my life. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, the Dolphins have looked pretty good this year. Um, I don't know that going to keep up the torrid pace especially offensively because you know it's not sustainable but it's been pretty good so far
2: all right well ian good to have you in there and rounding out the crew amanda golson uh i know you had uh, some some fun at the parents weekend also you caught up with your old pal ej Manuel. i know the, the acc network they were around uh, the stadium doing their, their programming so good to have you back in the state uh, in the studio i know you're a dolphins fan as well so everything is uh, coming up your way these days
4: Well, thanks for having me. Yes, I had a great weekend. I was able to kind of check out the – ACC Network was here this weekend, so I was kind of able to check out the filming uh, Friday afternoon in front of the Heritage Fountain, and I did see EJ again. EJ, I've met him a couple times, great guy. Um, So, yeah, I've had a great weekend. Obviously, the game can't ask for a really better weekend. And I did see my parents, so shout-out to them. (laughs) And uh, I'm hopeful for a game next weekend. But, you know we'll see what happens
2: yeah as, as of right now there will be a game played saturday at 3 30 everything is still set to be as scheduled and we'll uh get a little bit into that when we talk about the wake force game by the way producer jack guliero peeking in from behind the glass uh he, he'll be doing seminal segment and i know he's uh, a little bit of a, a georgia tech he pays attention to him i'll just say that and uh his head coach and his athletic director just got canned so uh, maybe we'll have him in at some point to talk about that in the coming weeks. That'll be a big story as to who maybe they go to replace Jeff Collins. But without further ado, I don't want to delay it any further. FSU football, they're 4-0. and They beat Boston College at home by a score of 44-14. to Complete domination over the Eagles now. They're 15-5 and against them all the time. They have won 11 of the last 12 meetings now after Saturday's win. It was a great spot for the Noles against a bad BC team. They are now 1-3 on the season, their only win. Uh, coming against a main team that is horrible and they didn't beat Maine by much. So uh, they're not looking great this year uh, But uh, on the null side what makes it a great spot as well is it's the first sellout since 2015 and the first sellout Against a team not named UF or Miami since you guessed it uh, Boston College in 2014 in that late November game where uh, Roberto Aguayo kicked a, a game winner through so I can't believe it's been since 2015 just about 80,000 strong and you could tell being in the building I was there um, great atmosphere all the coaches talked about it the players after the game and at the press on Monday that it made a difference uh, and everything so uh, that was good to see
3: and just a quick aside I, mean, I remember going to my first Florida State football game back when you know they were sold out every week even when uh, coach Bowden was there uh, in his later later stages and I felt like a kid again walking into that stadium seeing the other side completely full uh, it was a beautiful sight even if you're not a Florida State fan.
2: Boston College, uh, as the game started off, coming into the game, out of 131 FBS teams, they're ranked 115th as far as kickoff yardage allowed, and uh, it was the call that you heard at the top of the show. Trey Benson, in his first special team's touch of the year, uh, no returns uh, no returns on the punt or the kicking side, and he takes his first kickback of the year, 93 yards, the first kickoff return touchdown for Florida State since Kermit Whitfield did it in the uh, national championship game for the 2013 season. So can't believe it's been that long for that either. So FSU, uh, they're, they're breaking all kinds of records, um, and we'll talk about this for this game. But... Uh, they're, they're 4-0, really some relevance for the first time in about the last half decade. So you're going to see those kind of stats, first time doing this in X amount of years. And uh, that that's really all we can ask for at this stage of things. But getting into the game after that, I mean, you know, you're know, eight seconds into the game. You're up 7 to nothing. Thanks for that kickoff return from Trey Benson. Breaks three or four tackles as he's been doing all year. He had a breakout game. Uh, By the way, as well, and he's a guy that you cannot bring down on first contact. He has shown that for sure in his real first collegiate opportunity uh, with FSU after transferring from Oregon. But the defense was missing some players. Their, Their two best defensive linemen, Fabian Lovett and Jared Verse, both out. And Florida State was still able to get a tremendous amount of pressure without even blitzing Uh, B.C. quarterback Phil Dracovic. Two interceptions on underthrows on plays where he was pressured pretty heavily, not able to get the ball to his receivers. It was uh, Amarian. He's now going by Duke Cooper, and it was Greedy Vance who got the second one off of Dracovic. So things were going their way. The the Noles, uh, after they pick Dracovic off on on their first drive, turn a short field into another touchdown. So, guys, two minutes into this game, Florida State is up 14-0. And uh, that really set the stage for the rest of the night.
3: Absolutely. It was utter dominance from the beginning of the show, and, or excuse me, from the beginning <laughs> of the game. And when you saw that energy after the return of the kickoff, and you know, you see Osceola plant the spear, uh, there's just this feeling of defeat sitting, uh, you, know, you know, kind of swelling up from that, that Boston college side. And... We saw from Florida State, we, we see Jordan Travis, you know, he has the, the, the knee brace on, but we still see a Jordan Travis that's able to complete passes on third down. It's able to, to get to the first down marker when he needs to. And, you know, maybe he's at 80, 85%, but we see a Jordan Travis that's, that's capable of running an offense early on.
2: And that was the other thing i think it was a surprise to a lot of people it was to myself to see jordan travis announced as the the start the, the morning of the game tate Rodemaker was more than serviceable in the second half against louisville the previous week but they decided they want their best player on the field uh, had the knee breaks did not really call any design runs for him but uh in, in a way kind of showed what he can be as a pocket passer and he uh, uh displayed some of that stuff but Boston College, uh, the offensive side of the ball, they did not reach midfield at all in the first half. They did not cross the 50-yard line. That's how dominant this Florida State defense was. The Knolls end the first half up 31 nothing on a jump ball. Uh, touchdown from Kentron Portier. They had some other really long plays. So guys, I mean, there wasn't a lot in the second half, obviously, when you're up in the first half 31 nothing. So talking about the first half, this offense, another really great showing. They're having a great season on this side of the ball.
3: Absolutely. And we've seen through the first four games for Florida State, we've seen a different receiver come up big in each and every game. And so I'm gonna to pass to Amanda, yeah, go ahead.
4: Yeah, to bring that up, I was gonna talk about um, the play that stood out to me. Uh, Jordan Travis, we, it was, there was 10 minutes, 20 seconds left in the first quarter. FSU was on the maybe two yard line and it looks like Jordan Travis was about to go down and Boston College was about to get a safety. But somehow, he esca- Jordan Travis escapes and makes a heck of a throw to Darian Williamson for the first down. And he was a guy that really stood out to me this weekend, for sure. And that play really stood out to me. I was, I was not praying on his downfall. I was like, oh, he's going down. Like, this is it. And I don't know how. He makes it out alive.
2: Yeah, you make a good point there with with Jordan Travis, not designed runs, but still in, being involved in the game with his feet, not, one, not just once in that, that play in the end zone, but twice he did it, where the Boston College defense had him dead to rights. There was three or four guys around him. It looked like he was destined to be sacked, and like he did against Louisville last week as well before he went down with the injury he somehow finds a way to roll out, spin out of the pocket, even moving to his left, his non-throwing side and getting the ball down the field, get it hitting their receivers in stride and they're able to get a couple of big plays. Darren Williamson having the best game of his FSU career in large thanks uh to Jordan Travis extending some plays.
3: And not saying we're surprised, but are we not entertained? You know, I mean it it is it is so impressive to see Jordan Travis, you know, become Houdini each and every week even, you know, with a brace on, you know, so uh, that's something that, that James Blackman, and I know we're kind of going back here a little bit, but something that James Blackman um, and Mackenzie Milton as well, you know, granted he had some great mobility at UCF, but that's something that this Florida State offense and the kind of spread that they play, not that it's necessarily a spread, but you know, they, they spread the ball out more compared to a Jimbo Fisher style offense, uh, or Willie Taggart, well Willie Taggart was spread too, but my point being is that Jordan Travis fits this system so perfectly, and uh, you know we saw Tate Rodemaker able to win a game at Louisville uh, late in the second half. But Jordan Travis is this offense, and when you when you add weapons, when you add three running backs that can that can that can push it whenever they need to, uh, it's really really entertaining and exciting to watch this Florida State football team again, especially when all the pieces are coming together.
2: I think the weapons play a, a big part in this. We talked about it on one of our shows during the off season when we're kind of previewing how is the football season going to go. And we said, I mean, this is um, year three, some people call it year two with, with the COVID year for Mike Norvell. And I, I said. Uh, the, the quote was, you know, this offense, they're they're building it um, kind of like you would build a plane as it's flying. That was the the impression that we got. But when you have these, these weapons on offense, the three-headed monster in the running back room and some of these receivers where every week it's someone new. It was Johnny Wilson last week. It was Malik McLean another week. This week it was Darian Wilson really coming on strong. It seems like uh, Cameron McDonald, the tight end, is making yeah, some huge Wilson. catches for first downs. Antari Wilson, Pokey Wilson. Uh, has probably been maybe the best out of, out of that entire group you bring up. And they have guys that aren't even healthy right now. Winston Wright, uh, Ja'Kai Douglas. The the list goes
3: Michael Pittman. on I mean, and on I mean and on.
2: It's so deep. It's it's an embarrassment of riches, and I, I think that makes it easier, um, not just for Jordan Travis, but this, this offense. We're finally starting to see some wrinkles of that Memphis offense that Norvell had when he was the head coach there. The tight ends up the seam, uh, the, the shotgun running, that has always been there. But the point ultimately being, as we talked about, when you have 6, 7, maybe even 8 guys, Kentron, Portier, you can do just about anything you want on offense and you're going to have uh, some good looking plays.
3: And not only that, but w- when you have Michael Pittman and you have Antario Wilson, Pookie Wilson, and you have uh, Johnny Wilson all on the field, maybe not all on the field at the same time, someone like a Cameron McDonald or a Preston Daniel is probably going to be open. You know, it, it, it opens up this offense so much. Last year, so one-dimensional. And that third down play and the fourth down play as well where you have the confidence to throw it up to the end zone and let some athletes make a play that's something that Florida State has not seen in such a long time we didn't even see it last year we didn't yeah. we didn't Florida State did not see that just unequivocal athletic ability to just trust your guys to make a play and you know they're reliant so much on scheme and not necessarily on the Jimmy's and Joes but this year's different and i think we can finally that 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 game was a that those last couple drives in the first half was a microcosm of this season so far.
2: Yeah exactly i agree with you 1000% it was i went back and watched the broadcast today tim hasselback who was on the broadcast pointed out that touchdown i think it was the last one of the half to kentron portier it was johnny wilson on the other side of the field drawing double coverage and when was the last time that is a you know a Florida State team. You could say that you had multiple guys that are drawing double coverage and getting other guys open. To me, I mean that 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 is what moves the needle for this success, at least on this side of the ball, more than more than anything else. And it's allowed the run game to open up and, and so much other stuff as well.
3: And, and forgive me for you know, not knowing every scouting report on Tamara and Terry and what he had going on back in the day, but maybe he was getting double teams sometimes. But there was nobody that was going to be as open and as available and ready to catch a football uh, back in, in those days. And, and that once again, that made them one-dimensional. They could only run the ball, really, if they wanted to have any success. And, uh, you know, being able to do both is opening up both sides of the offense. Go ahead.
4: And especially having a quarterback like Jordan Travis, that can consistently deliver. You know, you're talking about how these this offense is set up to get guys open But that doesn't do anything if your quarterback can't deliver. And we have seen throughout these past four games, Jordan Travis is the guy for that. And he's been pretty accurate pretty much every game, I would say.
3: And uh, before we forget, that uh, touchdown call, the beginning courtesy of IMG Sports Seminole Sports Network as well. Jeff Colhane. and Jeff call. Colhane, of course. What a call! It was. That was. He's been all having right.
2: a great, great season. The block in the Bayou. Mm-hmm. Um, the the uh, here's Johnny against Louisville, and then Absolutely. some of the calls here. Uh, Trey Benson had three touchdowns. They were all great calls. So and,
3: and Amanda, not to forget your point, by the way. Uh, <laughs> you're exactly right. You're exactly right, and we see this Florida State offense finally coming together. I mean, I, I don't know what, else, what other way to put it. It's finally coming together.
2: I love it when a plan comes together. Uh, Boston College, they outscored the Noles by a point. It was 14-3 to in favor of the Eagles in the second half, but it was more about Florida State and their depth pieces. Both backup quarterbacks coming to the game, Rodemaker and at the very end, A.J. Duffy in his second appearance of the year. He kind of got clean up quarterback Neil duty against Duquesne as well, but good to see anytime you can get Three quarterbacks into a game against a conference opponent. Again, another thing I can't remember the last time they could do that. Uh, Rodney Hill, the running back, he was uh, one of the darlings of fall camp. He had some nice carries there. Uh, and then on the defensive side of the ball we'll start with the defensive backs first all these true freshmen youngsters uh thomas two tackles for loss uh, getting his first real time at cornerback i believe he played really well he looks fast he looks quick sam mccall the, the the top prospect in this past recruiting class got some time a little bit later on in the game i think thomas played like almost the entire second half and then shaheem brown who did have the block in the bayou had a couple of tackles for loss and uh, another guy he can play corner, can play safety. I think he's a sophomore. He looked really well, uh, too. And then we have with the uh, the front seven, Brandon Gantt, DJ Lundy getting some time at linebacker. And the defensive line may be the greatest example. Patrick Payton, Joshua Farmer, both freshmen. Malcolm Ray, the sophomore. There's a lot of uh, injuries on this defensive line. Fabian Lovett and Jared Verse were out against BC. It's looking like they might be back against Wake. But I think it was uh, Derek McClendon got hurt or uh, was a little bit banged up at the end of that game. And so they're having to rotate a lot of pieces in. Uh, but but John Papuchis, the, the defensive end uh, coach, and then Odell Higgins, who does the the defensive tackles. This unit looks really deep. They're about seven or eight, maybe even nine deep. They had Jermaine Johnson, of course, last week. So maybe coming on uh, as maybe one of the strengths of the team, they looked really good. And uh, anytime you can have that depth of freshman, I think that's a good thing too.
3: And, you know, last week, when you have such a dynamic quarterback and Malik Cunningham trying to, uh, really trying to game plan for him—that's going to be tough, as always. Yeah. But you—you you go to the LSU game, you—you you take a look at that game. LSU was stifled on offense, really. I mean, they had that opening drive that ended up in a field goal, but they did not run the ball down Florida State's throat. They didn't pass the ball necessarily well. I mean, Jaden Daniels looked good, but they were not going over the top. I—I I can't remember a play in New Orleans where LSU went over the top on any of Florida State's secondary. So, um. Could there be more penetration? Um, yes. When, it, when I I think Florida State should probably be really attempting to break down these plays earlier. I I, I think that's something that Florida State should really be looking towards. But for the most part, they've been getting the job done.
2: Yeah, what impressed me the most was how they were able to get pressure off the edge without having to blitz. Yes, I agree. There was some some gashes up the middle in the run game that could be cleaned up, but I, the, the pressure was really nice to see. I think Boston College it was like 125th out of 131 teams as far as sacks allowed coming into the night. They give up three sacks uh, during the game, so it was a good matchup for Florida State overall. I want to mention Trey Benson, give him his shout-out. 171 total yards, 10 rushes for 78 on the ground, two touchdowns, so three total times reaching the end zone. He's never tackled on first contact. Pro Football Focus, uh, he has caused 32 missed tackles. That's two behind Bijan Robinson uh, of the Texas Longhorns for first in the nation. He has 30 less carries, though. So, I mean, Trey Benson is the hardest man right now to tackle in college football. He had that Greg Jones-esque truck where he just laid his shoulder and to one of the defenders, that was was really cool to see. So shades of Greg Jones there. And so, I mean, three really capable running backs. Lawrence Toafili scored a touchdown, and Treshawn Ward gets the majority of the carries. So the three guys that are running really, really well right now.
3: And, and Trayshawn Ward, I think I've said this on this program before, and I'll say it again. I'm not saying he's Dalvin Cook. And I, I know people are going to say, oh, well, you're still kind of saying he's Dalvin Cook. I'm not saying that. But I saw this last year against Wake Forest. Last year, and we'll get into Wake Force, obviously, but last year against Wake Force, that was the first time I saw Trey Shaw in Ward's vision. He has the ability to cut, he has the ability to see the holes before they. Before well, there's they finally open holes up. now, too. That's very true. There's very true. But also, great credit to, to Alex Atkins um, taking over, revamping this offensive line, and at the same time, uh, getting that offensive coordinator uh, title. I don't know how much. Uh, He has, you know, I don't want to say it has nothing to do with it because, you know, Coach Norvell is still running the plays. But, and then we asked Coach Norvell at the media luncheon before the season, you know, is there going to be any change of philosophy when it it comes to running this offense? He says, no, not really. But, you know, give credit to Alex Atkins, this offensive line, which really is the heart and soul of any football team. It has to be. The more time your your team, (laughs) I know uh, one of our listeners was giving me crap about this, but the more time your team is on the field, Less time your defense is on the field. That's
2: what they always and,
3: say, and it's just it's just like a soccer match. You know, the, the more time you have, the more time you have possession, uh, the less time the other team has to score. So, uh, really, kudos to to the to the chef that is Alex Atkins.
2: Yeah, Knowles win forty four to fourteen. They're four and zero. First time since twenty fifteen where they went six and zero. On Sunday afternoon, they received their first AP Top 25 ranking since week one of 2018. So they're now number 23 going uh, in the land going up against number 22, Wake Forest, next week. I'm anticipating getting the the phone call from our guest any second, but setting the stage for Wake Forest is the second ranked matchup in series history where they're both ranked. Wake is 22, FSU is 23. FSU opened as a four-point favorite. The line has now moved up to seven. So... 65% of the people move, uh, pick in FSU, so the line has continued uh, to move up. And on the line now, I believe we do have our guest of the Wake Forest student paper, the sports editor of the old Golden Black, Ian Stephenson. Ian, thanks for coming on. It's a pleasure to talk with you tonight. Thank you
5: for having me. It's great to be here.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. So how are, you, how are you doing? How is uh, everything in, in Winston-Salem these days?
5: um it's been pretty well but you know after the loss against clemson things have been pretty somber here but we'll get back to it this week i think
2: that's fair that's fair fsu uh, i just have a couple notes and then i'll get to the questions fsu leads the the series for our audience 38 and one the tie was the first one i think back in the the early 70s wake does have a two game win streak though 2019 to 21 there was no meeting in 2020 and wake forest as i'll ask you in later they won 35 to 14 Last year, FSU had six turnovers in that game. But the first question I'm going to ask you, it's been a wild season for Wake Forest so far. They're 3-1. and one. They're still ranked at number 22 as of this week. Tell me about Wake Forest football in 2022.
5: Yeah, so starting off the season, expectations were really high, um, especially after making it to the ACC championship game last year. Um, a lot of people coming in, a lot of people leaving, a lot of people returning from injury, so expectations were sky's the limit, pretty much. But sort of towards the end of fall camp, our starting quarterback, Sam Hartman, was diagnosed with a non-football-related injury. So everyone sort of went into panic mode. No one knew when he was going to return. So our backup, Griffith, actually started our first game against VMI, which was pretty much David versus Goliath. That was an easy win for us. And then Hartman returned against Vanderbilt. took a while for him to get going, but he settled in. And then we played Liberty in week three, which was honestly one of the craziest games I've ever seen. Uh, We kind of put that on the schedule to kind of beat them by 20 or more. That's how much we were expected to beat them by. And they really, like, they put us on the ropes. They almost had us, and they almost had the upset. So that was pretty hectic. And then having Clemson this weekend, you know, I'm a sophomore here, and that was easily one of the best games I've seen this football team play. Um, Hartman threw six touchdowns, which broke a school record, but, you know, came up short and double overtime so could have had it but it is
3: what it is ian this is jackson co-host of tomahawk talk with you here uh to be fair and you know, i'm going to say as respectfully as possible I, I i've always heard about wake forest's lack of atmosphere you know for that game against clemson what was it like
5: you know i was on the other side i was in the i was in the uh student section this time I'm usually in the press box and it was honestly crazy you know we're a small school. Truist Field is one of the smallest stadiums in the Power Five, but, you know, that our entire student body showed up and showed out for that game. You know, Clemson travels well as a team, but we were pretty rowdy, and I think our team really, like, was behind us, so we were really behind them. So, you know, that's really what sort of put that team and put our team to the next level.
3: Absolutely. And uh, real quick, you know, the game is still scheduled in Tallahassee for 3.30, and, you know, we've been talking about, you know, di- different logistics. Uh anything from your end uh, is there anything you know is there any rumblings in wake forest whether maybe a different schedule change or uh, a different change in travel that you're aware of
5: um i know i don't have the best name at the moment to be honest because i'm named after the hurricane but uh Next two of us you know <laughs> i haven't heard too much on my end uh you know i heard some rumblings that it might be moved here but i doubt that's gonna happen they probably want to have it at a neutral site um, But I guess we'll just see how things shape up during the week, whether it's moved up or just moved to an alternate site.
2: You hinted on it earlier, but I want to ask you more because it's such a great story. One of the best stories in college football right now is that of Wake Forest quarterback Sam Hartman. He had surgery to remove a blood clot on August 9th. He was back a month later to start their second game of the season against Vandy. He's played only three games this year. He's already at nearly 1,000 yards passing, already 12 touchdown passes, His career in Winston-Salem, over 10,000 yards and 85 throwing touchdowns. What has Sam Hartman meant to this football program over the years?
5: I've been, and you know, a lot of guys on his team say this is his team. You know, he's a leader uh, on the field and in the locker room. And, you know, he's kind of our guy. Uh, He kind of, and when we were without him for that little short span, you know, we were kind of lost. But he's really our guy, you know, he's, who the team goes through. He's the signal caller, but he's just the leader. So, you know, he's this is kind of like his milestone season. He uh, passed, uh, I think he passed, he broke the school record for career passing yards against uh, Liberty. So, you know, he's really just like our leader. He's our guy. And he's been so much to this program. And, you know, he kind of had the world on his shoulders, especially after the Clemson game. Um, but hopefully he'll get right back into it against FSU.
2: With a 1 point victory over Liberty and then a double overtime thriller to Clemson, back-to-back weeks, do you expect Wake Forest to show some signs of wear on Saturday because they have been through a heck of a lot lately?
5: Yeah, I definitely um I was really surprised, you know, after the like after the Liberty game how you know, how quick Wake was to get back against Clemson, you know, we were in the hole early 14 nothing, but the team rallied so, I think any questions of fatigue, really, like, you know, this team doesn't really get too tired. So, you know, we kind of had the long sprints, but I definitely think this team's in shape and definitely can uh, come out.
2: That's a good point. In that 51-45 to 45 loss to Clemson, I don't think I've ever seen that many jump balls throw down the field in a single game. Is that the game Wake wants to play?
5: Yeah, well, we run sort of like a slow-mesh offense, so Wake especially against Clemson really wanted to throw the ball over the top and you know we were able to capitalize you know we have some great weapons in Jamal Banks, AT Perry and Donovan Green but you know sort of came up short towards the end but Wake really loves to attack over the middle.
2: Yeah and that was going to be my next question to you cuz I'm interested we Florida State plays Wake Forest every year so a lot of is made of that mesh point offense but as someone who covers the team sees them every week against their opponent I'm just curious, like, for the uh, maybe explain some of it for the audience as well. Your interpretation of that mesh point offense and how it is able to pick apart a defense.
5: You know, it's pretty wacky, but once, like, when you're watching it, but it really makes sense. It's basically like handing the ball off to the running back, but kind of faking it, almost like play action, and waiting to see how the defense reacts and develops. But, you know, some teams that really you were able to capitalize against Clemson, especially throwing the ball over the middle and sort of switching in between. The pass game and the run game, but you know teams like Liberty really handled it well, stopping us on the run. So you know it works some games, it doesn't work in other ones. But when it's working, it gets going.
3: Yeah, it, it feels like 40 percent of the time you're you're watching a read option every play, and yeah, it's it, it kind of reminds me of like a Le'Veon Bell, and it's gonna sound a little weird. Kind of reminds me of a Le'Veon Bell when he was at Pittsburgh, uh, kind of that that delayed. Uh, running style that like you kind of not a hop step obviously because it's a handoff but uh, it's just a a a disruption of rhythm both on the offensive and defensive side of the ball it is it is pretty cool to watch
2: yeah wake forest beat fsu 35 14 last year in winston-salem is there any kind of feeling around the team like maybe they have the nulls number are they feeling confident about re- repeating that result this year
5: you know, I think this team's definitely different than last year's. Um, I definitely think it's great, you know, especially against Clemson. You know, they really surprised me. So, you know, kind of what Clawson, our head coach has been saying is, like, you know, this team is proud of what they did last year. But, you know, they got to focus on what's ahead. So, you know, yeah, last year was a great result for the team. But, you know, it's kind of just a week-by-week basis, you know, who's got their number. Uh, and, you you know, you've seen in games against Liberty, They got to stay focused. You know, anyone can. Everyone can have their number one week.
2: What names? What players should Knowles fans be on the lookout uh, wearing the golden black on Saturday?
5: Well, everything goes through Hartman, so you got to watch him. uh, Colin plays under center, but he's got a lot of great weapons. Uh, AC Perry, number nine, Uh, and then you got weapons like Donovan Green, another wide receiver, and Jamal Banks, and then our tight end Blake Whitehart's really great. And on the defensive end, you got lethal pass rusher Vondell Bothroyd. He's definitely gonna put some pressure on the that. FSU QB. And you know, defense has definitely been a weak spot for us, but I think this this year the defense has definitely been turned around.
2: The Demon Deacons have the seventy third ranked defense in the country so far this year. They've allowed three hundred and seventy five yards, thirty points a game on average. Obviously that's skewed a little bit in either direction with some of the games. In your opinion, is that unit a liability? I
5: think definitely last year, defense was one of our, like, weakest areas. It was definitely a liability. But, you know, in the offseason, we brought in a new defensive coordinator, and uh, Brad Lambert, and he's really, like, this, reinvented this defense from top down. And, you know, in certain games, like, it really has been, like, it's been a struggle, especially with our defense, you know. But when it gets going, you know, they're able to come up with big plays. And hopefully, like, you know, they can stay focused but especially, like, yeah, it is a little bit of a liability sometimes. Like, it's it's not so much a balanced team. Like, your offense is a little bit better, but, you know, when defense gets going, it's, it's a pretty balanced team.
4: Hey, Ian, uh, this is Amanda. I was just going to ask you, what extra steps do you think Wake has to take this week, you know, in practice and to translate to this weekend um, to be successful against the Nulls?
5: I think it's just having, like, a, a clear mindset, you know, they kind of just got to forget about what happened in the past and kind of just focus on what's ahead. You know, they played a great game against one of the best teams in the country, and, you know, they had them on the ropes. They could have, you know, had that opportunity to take them to the next level, but they kind of just got to be like, you know, it's in the rearview mirror, and they got to focus on what's ahead. So I think definitely Clawson this week is focusing on that. You know, it's great. We put in that effort. We almost had them, but we got to focus on what's next.
2: Last question I got for you, Ian. Uh, if you have a score prediction, I'd love to hear that, but if not, just uh, how do you foresee this game playing out over the course of 60 minutes? Maybe more. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, well, I
5: definitely, like,
2: hopefully we can get going early.
5: You know, usually away games this year, against, especially against Vanderbilt, we came out a bit slow, so that's definitely something to look out for. Um, but you know, hoping for the best, hoping for a Wake win. And, you know, don't really, haven't thought too much about a score prediction. Haven't seen it too many FSU games this year, but hopefully Wake comes out on
2: top. It'll be a good matchup. Yeah, first-ranked matchup in quite a while, second only all-time. But Ian Stephenson, the sports editor of the Old Golden Black, the Wake Forest student newspaper. Ian, it was great talking to you. Thanks so much for coming on the program. Good luck the rest of the way with the season as well. Thanks for having me. All right, appreciate it. There he goes, Ian Stephenson. Again, thank you for coming on. It's everyone at that paper that helped set the interview up. One of my favorite parts about doing this show was talking to some of these uh, opposing writers. But now back into the studio, William Jackson, our other Ian, Ian Hughes, our sports correspondent, and uh, Amanda Golson talking about this Wake Forest game. How do we think it's going to go now that we've learned a little bit more about the team? Uh, it's a big game for us, start of a really difficult stretch. I guess, Jackson, we'll start with you, go around the room. Score prediction, how do you think this game plays out? What does FSU need to do? Tell me. Well, first of all, I think Florida State
3: cannot be one-dimensional. They have to be able to, on both sides of the ball. you know, Wake Forest isn't necessarily known for their defense. I think that's, uh, you know, giving up 51 points, 45 in regulation is uh, – a pretty good sign of that you know 36 to Liberty almost 40 uh, to Liberty so uh, Florida State they have to be able to play well in man they have in man defense they have to be able to protect the ball coming over the top uh, so have to be able to be two-dimensional and you have to be maybe even three-dimensional in special teams as well and you have to be able to protect the ball over the top so my score prediction I'm gonna go 35 31 Knowles don't cover but Knowles win Knowles win Knowles win there
0: you go um, I think FSU needs to get out to a hot start uh, to have you know a good chance to beat Wake Forest because, you know, Clemson went up early. Not by much, but, I mean, Wake Forest kind of stormed back and took control in the third quarter. So um, I could see that happening against Florida State as well. Um, I think FSU will win. <clears throat> they definitely can at least. Um, what did you say, Jackson? Was it 34-31? 35-31, yes, Okay, sir. I was going to say 34-31, so it seems like we're on the same page here. It's like you guys uh. are reading my mind. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but I think FSU will win. I think the atmosphere will be the difference this week.
4: Absolutely, and I agree with you there. Um. I think that, you know, regardless of what goes down in first and second half, FSU needs to not let their guard down. And that was something I was impressed with the Boston College game, even being up so much – they came out the second half still playing hard football, and they never, you know, get let their egos got to them or anything like that. So, I also I think that um, our defense really needs to keep up the good work. FSU defense needs to um, be aware of everything that's going on. My score prediction: I'm gonna go 24-17, Florida State.
2: Low scoring that would be huge if that defense can hold Wake's offense too, to 17 points. Jackson, I really like what you had to say in that. Um, you kind of have to play your game. Even though Clemson won against Wake and they scored fifty-one, doing it, granted in double overtime, it felt like Clemson got sucked into Wake's game. Wake was playing their game. They, they bombing the, throwing the ball down the field, all these long, you know, streak routes, and Clemson was forced to match that repeatedly. I am really interested to see because this is what you talk about this next step and taking as a team. Can you, I uh, establish your identity on both sides of the ball against a really good football team? Because I am interested to see it? You, you can't be one dimensional. You can't fall into their trap. Can you keep running the ball? They've been good for most of the season at controlling time of possession. I'm going to be really interested to see if they can do it because Wake, you know, uh, a lot of challenges. They've got two really good receivers on the outside, Jamal Banks and A.T. Perry that have been doing damage for for a really long time. Renato Green, the corner has been great. Amari and Duke Cooper looks back and healthy. After playing only three snaps against Louisville, played uh, the game while the starters were in against BC. So those corners are going to be really tested. Jamie Robinson and uh, and Akeem Dent, the safeties as well. This is maybe the game more so than any other where we're going to see the secondary get, uh, uh, get tested. My score prediction, 38-35. Even if you play your game, it's still going to be super high scoring, and Wake is, is going, to, they're, they're going to make you give everything you got. And uh, One final note. Uh, you might see Mike Norvell empty the bag of tricks here. I, I don't know because they, they might need it. You cannot fall behind a score or two to this team because that's going to be trouble if, if they start getting hot. So 38-35 for me, uh, but the room, we all have a Knowles win, uh, and what we're going to do now is, is send it off to our producer, Jack Oliaro for Seminole Segment. Jack.
1: Hey, what's good, everyone? I am Jack Liara, leading the seminal segment, which relays the latest and greatest in all of Florida State's athletics. Uh, quickly backing up what the crew said, I will take the Knowles 38-27 over the Deacons. And now to quickly recap the newest Florida State commits from the past week, as the Knowles have landed two high-caliber four-star players in Blake Nicholson and Hakeem Williams. Blake Nicholson is a linebacker out of Manteca, California, currently listed as a top fifteen linebacker in the twenty twenty three class. Twenty four Sports twenty four seven Sports describes him as a two way player with extensive snaps at not only the running back position, and then multiple defensive roles. Who Florida State had who floor, who Florida State had to fight Oregon off for his services. He's FSU's highest rated incoming linebacker in quite some time and will be part of an ascending defensive group. Meanwhile, Hakeem Williams is a wide receiver out of Fort Lauderdale, currently listed as a top five wide receiver. In this upcoming class, he's a freak athlete who played basketball and football throughout high school and winning state titles in both categories. He's an explosive, built 6'3 player who can bully in play, and he's very well-coordinated. Many top schools wanted his talents, but he chose Mike Norvell and the Seminoles as his next stop of his football career, and he's the Noles' highest-rated commit since 2017. Now, switching from football to soccer, the 7th-ranked Florida State hosted their first conference games with Louisville and 14th-ranked Clemson. Uh, Thursday night saw the Nulls take down the Cardinals in a convincing 5-1 win. That's had Jenna Neiswanger score a goal and provide three assists to her teammates. When asked what about makes them a dangerous side, she said, quote, Our goal threats can come from every position, from every player on the field. I think at any point point in any time, I put my trust into anyone to score the goal, and I think on a team like this, it's really special. We don't have a deep team, but we can certainly have a team where everyone's making contributions, and I think that's really important for us, close, quote. They followed that up with a display on a Top 15 Sunday afternoon match against the Clemson Tigers, where they were once again victorious but had more difficulties. They won 3-1 with Jody Brown as the player of the game, contributing in each goal, two goals over own, and then an assist to top it off. The game was hard fought as Florida State failed to score five goals for the first time since, two, since uh, the home opener against Auburn. Going forward, they have a lengthy road trip up ahead with Miami, second-ranked Virginia, and 18th-ranked Notre Dame in the next two weeks. When I asked Coach Penske what he wants to see out of this road trip, he said, quote, we need to continue to work on our defending. Uh, they need to tweak it based on their depth and work within the press, close quote. Uh, Florida State gave up a goal in each game this weekend but ha- and have a back line full of youth that has made few mistakes but pushing for no mistakes, like teams as recently as last season. They remain undefeated and will host Duke in their next home game in three weeks' time. Florida State Volleyball team opened up in conference play with a sweep of Notre Dame on Friday night, Sydney Conley leading in kills and blocks, providing an array of abilities for the Noles in their triumphant win, and building momentum for the second-ranked Louisville Cardinals in elite-side and collegiate women's volleyball. They had one loss in their entire season with a 3-1 loss to Ohio State, but since then they've only lost three sets in five matches, and they flexed their superiority against FSU with a 3-0 sweep to make it short and led an every-team stat. Uh, The Seminoles won't have too much time to think about the loss with a Friday road trip to Raleigh against North Carolina State. But that's going to do it for this week's edition edition of Seminole segment. William and Jackson, push the buttons. Thank you, Jack. We
2: welcome you back to Tomahawk Talk, 89.7 FM, William, Jackson, Amanda, and Ian. And I hate to do it, but we have have yet a third Ian that we need to discuss. That is... uh, Hurricane Ian, I just wanna quickly uh, give this mention. First of all, we hope everyone, uh, it'll be probably passed through by the time we're on the air next. So we hope everyone is safe and makes it on the other side of this thing in good shape. But uh, Jackson, uh, we found out today from athletic director Michael Alford, the game is as of today, still scheduled to be 3.30 Saturday afternoon. But uh, if the hurricane shifts in our direction of Leon County of Tallahassee, uh, they're gonna have to maybe look at some other options.
3: And yeah, even if it stays on the same course, uh there's a logistical problem uh for to, for Wake Forest getting here. Not necessarily I mean there there could be some logistical problems in terms of playing the game, you know, whether the the field is is uh too drenched, you know, it's too saturated or whether <clears throat> excuse me, you know, there's some lightning in the area, uh things of that nature. But the real logistical problem and uh you know, I used to work for the equipment staff for Florida State in twenty twenty, my freshman year. Uh and so most teams, the way they do it usually they come in Friday night, they have practice in the morning, maybe not all teams, but the way we did it, as in Florida State, you know, I was working with them Is you know practice in the morning, and then as soon as practice is over, by one o'clock, you are on a bus with a police escort to go to the airport uh and you're trying to get you know where you're trying to go as soon as possible, so players can get rested up, players can get to sleep, players can eat, players they have meetings, they have walkthroughs. Uh, there was walkthroughs in ballrooms. Uh, you know, that's that's what happens at the collegiate level. So when it comes to, you know, Wake Forest coming on down to Tallahassee, will they be able to fly, you know, through a hurricane? Will they be able to fly over a hurricane? Will they be able to get into Tallahassee uh, Friday night? And, you know, there's possibilities of, you know, maybe pushing the game up to an 8 o'clock or having Wake Forest come in Saturday. I mean, there's, there's plenty of options. Uh, however... We don't know how the logistics are going to play out. So uh, a thing to, to, to keep an eye out for, um, but it is certainly a conundrum are both athletic directors of both schools
2: yeah coach norvell said uh his presser today this afternoon after practice that they have explored with the atlantic coast conference about what they want to do uh fsu and wake do not share a bye week they'd have to move some games around it's like a round robin going on because clemson and nc state are playing and i think nc state plays wake or something like that all these teams are playing each other so they can move games around play games somewhere else if they need to there's going to be a lot of speculation over the course of the week right up until probably Saturday morning about when this game is going to be played. Um, but but again, hopefully everyone makes it OK uh, to the other side and uh, uh, all of that. So moving now to the rest of the football world, quickly with college football, Miami loses at home to Middle Tennessee State drop out of the top 25. The University of Florida loses in Tennessee. They drop out of the top 25. So Florida State, the only undefeated team, the only ranked team in the state of Florida. That's good to see. I was not expecting to see that this year. So that is uh, certainly something that is really cool And for Miami, that this season could become a mess really, really quickly. Arkansas A&M, again, we talked about. Arkansas started 14-0. Looked like they were going to take control because Jimbo's offense has not been cooking yet. But they, the A&M did just enough. They win 23-21. Arkansas is, uh, they're going to host Alabama next week, so season gets tougher for them.
3: And, you know, maybe this is happening in, you know, Miami writers' circles and media circles, but why is Cristobal not getting any blame for this? I haven't seen anybody, I mean, I understand it's this first year, and I I myself have been, uh, you know, very much on the team of, you know, give coaches some time in their first year, but However, this is a very talented Miami squad that went toe-to-toe with Texas A&M in College Station. Didn't look pretty, but at the same time, uh, to go from being you know, toe-to-toe with Texas A&M in, in last week to losing to Middle Tennessee at home, not just by a little, but by a lot. Yeah, uh, yeah,
2: they got run all over. Yeah, I'm
3: just surprised Crystal Ball hasn't gotten any slack. Or any flack, excuse it, me.
2: It'll be coming. They'll play the Noles in November. That game is uh, starting to look easier and easier by the week. Uh, quick ACC roundup. Syracuse beat Virginia f- on a Friday night. They're 4-0. They've got a cupcake game this week. They're going to be 5-0. They're they look pro- good. They're probably going to be ranked. All of a sudden, they become one of the tougher games on FSU's remaining schedule. Georgia Tech gets obliterated by another uh, G5 uh, school, this time to UCF at home, 27-10. to uh, Georgia Tech is is one and three, and they're going to fire their head coach. They already did today, and their athletic director. But head coach Jeff Collins is out. He was ten and twenty eight, three wins a season um, in, in his in his years there. Never won back to back games his entire time at Georgia Tech. They are one of the worst teams in college football, and they
3: beat Florida State at home in twenty twenty. It's hard to Thank believe. Thank you for reminding me. With our <laughs> former
2: quarterback forgot. recruit. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Jeff Sims, the great Jeff Sims. Uh, but Florida State ended up on the right side. You reminded me just real quickly with uh, that 2020 Georgia Tech game. Uh, on Saturday against BC, Alex Mastermono had his first touchback and over 100 punts since his first game as a NOL in 2020 against Georgia Tech.
3: Wow. I mean, he is a special talent and uh, you know maybe doesn't have the greatest leg. Uh, he has a very good leg, um, but he is deadly when it comes to pinning teams deep. And, uh, you know, I'm excited to see where he goes. And, and I think he could be making a lot of money here in, in a few years.
2: That's the new thing the punters that can kick with both legs really changes the game. Want to make a couple quick week five picks for college football. Start, as I mentioned, number two, Alabama travels to Fayetteville, Fayetteville to play number 20, Arkansas. Arkansas is a 15 and a half point dog. I'm going to just flat, I'm going to pick Arkansas to cover that and maybe win. This is a Bama team that almost lost in Texas. I think Arkansas is a much better team than the Horns. Um, I know a tough loss to AM, but they controlled that game for stretches. Um, Alabama is really going to be tested, and I think Arkansas is well on their way back and competing in a really good SEC West.
3: And I don't hate the take. Don't necessarily love it either. I, I think, uh, I think Alabama. I think they trip up against Ole Miss. That's where I think. Yeah,
4: that's, that's fair.
3: That's their their game. I, I think they are on red alert right now, still due to that Texas. Uh, narrow victory, I don't think their time to for their one loss because Alabama loses one game every year. It's, it's inevitable. Uh, but, I don't think it's this week. I think they go into Fayetteville laser-focused. I don't know what they win by. I'm going to say they win by I'm going to say they win by 10. I, I think uh, a double-digit win, Now, granted they don't cover, but I think a double-digit win in Fayetteville, top 10 matchup or no, excuse me, top 20 matchup uh is solid for the Nick Saban squad uh like I said though I think they lose to Ole Miss later on in the season
2: Ian and Amanda do the tide roll again this week it pains me to say it but yeah <laughs>
0: I, I'm a big fan of this Arkansas team but um I don't yeah. think they have the firepower to keep up with a laser focused Alabama if Jackson is on the right track here
4: yeah as much as I would love to see an Arkansas upset I just think that Alabama's gonna take this one it'll be exciting for sure that's I'm excited to watch either way.
2: It's gonna be a good game. and the other game I want to pick, uh, number five Clemson hosting number ten North Carolina State. Clemson is a six and a half point favorite. Uh, this is an interesting game. Clemson just barely escaping wake. NC State, it's been a little bit of a rocky ride. They almost lost at Eastern Carolina in week one, uh, but but they've got a veteran quarterback and a good defense. I know they beat Texas Tech. They've got some decent wins now. they're a top ten team. Uh, but Death Valley, that's going to be tough. Uh, Jackson, I guess we'll start with you. How do you see that game playing out?
3: I think Clemson rolls. Uh, NC State, in my opinion, hasn't looked spectacular. Clemson, they won me over. I've been very harsh on them for the past year and a half. Uh, If their offense plays like they did, like we said, Wake Forest, not a great offense, but I thought that Clemson's offense would not be able to keep up with wake forest's offense and they did i mean they they proved me wrong um to be able to put up 51 points against you know i i didn't think clemson was going to be able to put up over 40 all year so uh you know excluding whatever cupcakes they play i don't have their schedule in front of me but i'm going clemson you go clemson by eight
2: yeah i'll take clemson to cover two winning by a touchdown or more hosting the, the Wolf Pack. So, uh, guys, turn to the panel. A, couple, or a, a game with a couple of teams that Florida State will play later on in the next two weeks after Wake. Uh, how do we think this one goes down? I think we're on the
0: same page again. Um, NC State is a quality team, but they're not battle-tested this season thus far, and I think that will be the difference here. Clemson, they're
3: battle-tested, but not against good
0: teams. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. I mean, they barely escaped a bad East Carolina team. But other than that, they haven't really played a whole lot of uh, competitive football. So, um, I think in a game that should go back and forth for a little bit, but I think Clemson will pull out in the end.
4: yeah, I'm gonna agree with you guys there, especially Clemson having that home field advantage. I mean, that is such a iconic stadium to play in and as you said, NC State has not really had much competition this year and to phase up against Clemson it's it will be a battle for sure, and I'm just excited to watch because you know these are future Florida State opponents, so that's a little bit of a, a taste for what we have uh say has coming up, but I am going to take Clemson as well. All right.
2: Well, it'll be another great week of college football. It's been a great season so far. And what we want to do now is talk about the national football league, Florida roundup first, where we talk about the three teams in the state of Florida. And generally speaking, I would say uh, it was another good week. We will start with those Miami dolphins. They are three and Oh, they beat the Buffalo bills at home. I didn't think they could do it. They keep it a relatively low-scoring affair with how good offense these two teams have, or at least so far. So I'm surrounded by three Dolphins fans. I want to hear what you guys have to say. Obviously, um, I don't think you can say enough about this team. They're one of the best in the NFL. It looks like.
3: I mean, you look at the stats. Miami was dominated, you know, in terms of yards, uh, but their defense came up clutch when they needed to. And you know, there was a couple, couple missed field goals. You no, know, granted, they weren't super uh, long field goals, too, but. They did what they needed to do, and you know Tua goes down for a couple drives as well late in the first half. Uh, to be able to come back from that, um, Josh Allen, you're not going to make every throw. It happens, you know that that fourth down play, and you know to also to be able to mentally focus after the butt punt. You know, <laughs> one of the greatest, in my opinions, one of the greatest turnarounds <laughs> in a game, uh, momentum-wise, I'd seen in a long time. And uh, you know, we talked about this, Amanda and Ian before the show i had never yelled at a miami dolphins game as much as i did yesterday and so it's 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 a probably the best miami dolphins team i don't want to overreact that i've seen in a long time and i think they get the job done against cincinnati in cincinnati on thursday
0: well yeah i I definitely agree with you this is the best dolphins team that i've seen in probably my whole life at least up to this point we've had a couple teams start off three and oh whatever and then get slammed by a good team like the saints with drew Brees, you know um but this is a football team that has continued to win in different ways and that's the hallmark of a team that can make a deep playoff run it's, you know the, the first week it's a defensive battle you know shut down new england last week big offensive explosion come back and then this week is like a battle of attrition i read somewhere that that was what, you know how it was described and um I couldn't describe it better, you know, and, uh, McDaniel has done a great job bringing the scheme from San Francisco and, uh, kind of retrofitting it to suit to Tag- a game. Um, I'm
3: sorry, go ahead. Oh, Finish no, no, that. no, that was it. <laughs> but a- every player you hear that comes from Mike McDaniel says he does things so much differently. hmm He, he turns offenses on their head yeah. and just completely reimagines football, um, I necessarily haven't seen that, but there's probably these specificities and these te- technicalities that you know us as uh, us plebs don't understand.
0: Right, we're not reading the playbook every
4: day, Correct. like
3: they are. Correct, but uh. Uh, but just raving reviews from players from Mike McDaniel, um, and I'm excited to see where he takes this offense. Mm-hmm. Amanda, go ahead.
4: I was gonna I'm just looking at the stats here. Um, the Bills dominated the Dolphins in pretty much every aspect. The one that stood out to me the most, the time of possession, was almost exactly half, like, the Dolphins had half of the time of possession and still came out with the win. That is crazy to me when I think about that. But, yeah, I mean, what a time to be a Dolphins fan. I haven't said that in a while. It's just... Yeah, it's... it's, defense just, yeah, it's <laughs> I haven't been excited to watch Dolphins football in quite some time, even if there is a little heart attack towards the end. I mean, that's football. It makes it exciting, and it's it's really exciting to actually not want to you know, turn the TV off when the Dolphins play.
2: <laughs> Tell me about this Miami d- defense. There was a little bit of bend, don't break. I think they had a to takeaway towards the goal line. But Josh Allen throws the ball 63 times, averages only about six yards attempt uh, per attempt. They only score 19 points. I mean, I think just about everyone was expecting a lot more than that. What was it that Miami was able to do?
3: They didn't really allow the ball over the top. Uh, you know, you kind of see a lot of intermediate throws, like you said, six yards per attempt. Uh, and that's pretty much the name of the game. Josh Allen, great arm. Um, when you limit him to a short pass, you keep the ball in front of you. You can have the ball for a long time, but if you're, you know, you're not getting the ball deep, that's the best way to put it. If you can't get the ball over the top, you can't get the ball deep. Uh, maybe this is the new way to uh, take care of Josh Allen. Who knows?
2: They'll be the next team to play a game. They go to Cincinnati. Um, on, on Thursday night to play the Bengals. Bengals get their first win of the season against the Jets, but still look problematic. Uh, tell me about this game. It, does Miami have a great or at least a decent chance to go to 4-0? Uh,
3: do they have a line yet?
2: Let me take a look. I'm sure they they do. But I,
3: I think they have a very good chance uh, to go 4-0. I think Joe Burrow, great quarterback. Uh, you know, they Cincinnati won a lot of close games last year. Not doing it this year so far. Uh but I think if Miami stays true to their offense, their defense stays stout. Uh, I definitely have Miami covering whatever it is.
2: You're definitely gonna like this. It's Cincinnati minus three and a half. Oh wow! <laughs> and I,
3: I, if, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm looking at your computer. It's what got a 75 percent chance around there for for
2: yeah, Cincinnati to win. Yeah. ESPN's Football Power Index gives Cincinnati yeah 70 percent chance to win. That 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 amazes me.
3: Amazes. Uh, uh, Bengals are one and two. And
2: two. Yeah.
0: Wow! With a win over the J E T S Jets 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 New York Ugh. Football Jets Yeah they <laughs> the New York Stinking Jets
2: at uh, the NFL's punching bag. So I, I don't know I, I'm kind of with Jackson I, I think. That, but as we all know Vegas always knows something that we don't. But uh, one of our former hosts Brett Rutherford and I'm sure people buying him pizza picks. Well, real Dolphins qu- plus three and a half. I don't know Thursday night.
3: Real quick. I mean I kind of understand it. You know uh, apparently the Dolphins are under investigation with what's going on with Tua. Uh, That's like you said maybe maybe. Vegas knows something that he's already not playing. That's true. Uh, I mean, Teddy
2: Bridgewater, though, he is a, a borderline kind of starting level quarterback. Is, is he a, is
3: is he below the Kirk Cousins line?
2: Yes. 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 Okay,
3: I agree. So, uh, well, you know, Kirk Cousins doesn't necessarily play great. Sorry, Drew, you know, one of our great listeners. But anyway, uh, what I will say is, um, Teddy didn't impress me. Uh, granted, he got through into the game real quick on short notice, but um, I'm hoping that. We see a a Minnesota Teddy Bridgewater. That would be, that would be pretty sweet.
2: I th- I think there's what been like two or three teams that have been hoping to see the Minnesota uh, version of him. But yeah, uh, that that's a good point. I did forget. I mean, I don't know why. I'm interested to see what comes out of that. I was surprised too. It was let back in the game with concussion protocol. The dude was wobbling. He couldn't he fell walk over. after the hit. He fell over. That's. I played football. I know what it's like to get hit and see stars. His head banging on the turf. The back of his head. That's never good. So. Yeah, when I see that line, I'm thinking probably Tua is going to be out, and it's going to be Teddy Bridgewater on a short week. Tough, tough spot, but I don't know. It seems like the Bengals give up like eight sacks a game this year, most sack quarterback in the NFL. But on to the next Florida team, the Jacksonville Jaguars, in a blowout victory over the, the Chargers in Los Angeles. 38-10 to 10, the Jaguars win. They're 2-1, and one, their first place in the AFC South in a division with all kinds of turmoil right now. Trevor Lawrence looks darn near perfect. I mean, threw for three touchdowns, no picks, Uh, threw the ball 40 times, which in a second-year quarterback, they're asking him to do a lot. Um, But the running game was really, really well. Um, Doug Peterson changing the culture around. It seems like at least right now through three, three weeks, it was Urban Meyer that was holding this team back, not necessarily the roster. They made some great additions in free agency. The two big receivers—that's a
3: lot of money. <laughs> with
2: with Zay Jones and Christian Kirk, that's the thing. They got they got clowned by a lot of people for giving those guys money that weren't necessarily first tier receivers. But they have been making a difference for this Jacksonville team. And I don't know. Like I said, AFC South is a mess. What do we think? Are the Jaguars making a move? They just ran all over, stomped. What we think is a pretty good Chargers defense. Uh, I mean, yeah,
0: color me impressed. the uh, The Chargers were my pick to win the AFC West this year. I don't know if that's necessarily changed just yet, but, I mean, the Jaguars look thoroughly impressive this week. Trevor Lawrence looks like he's finally living up to the number one overall pick's you know expectations. Uh, Doug Peterson's changed the culture for the better. I mean, this looked like a roster that couldn't compete with a couple college teams last year, and now here they are leading the uh, the AFC South. Again, it's only week three, but I am.
3: Maybe because they were ran like a college team. That, yeah, that would probably do it. (laughs) And, you know, now Doug Peterson has the
2: same amount of wins as Aaron Meyer did last year. Fifth all time on the Jaguars' Jaguars win list. list. (laughs) Justin Herbert, it was questionable whether he was going to play or not. Got hit pretty good against Kansas City about now 10 or 11 days ago, but he played through the ball 45 times. Brandon Staley, the head coach of the Chargers, I don't know what he's doing. In his second year, it seems like all we've had is head scratching decisions from him, and the Jaguars blow out the Chargers. Going from the East Coast all the way to the West Coast, and you win by almost 30 points. That's really impressive. Shout-out to Kylie. Shout-out to the Brennan family, whom we saw on uh, Parents Weekend. The Jaguars are looking really, really good. And now we head to the only team in the state of Florida who has a little bit of pie on their face. That's the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It was a tough spot. They played a really good Green Bay Packers team at home. I was there, made the, the crazy drive up and back. That old NFC Central rivalry. Finally got to see the Packers play in Tampa Bay. Um, tough spot for the Bucks in that they're missing their top three receivers in that game. Mike Evans was suspended for the skirmish against Marshawn Lattimore and the Saints. Julio Jones is hurt. Chris Godwin is hurt. So all these weapons we talked about when they looked really good, you didn't have any of them. The running game stunk. Uh, they ran for about two yards a carry. Um, I talked about this, I think, after the Saints game. Brady is doing this weird thing where he just wants to hand the ball off a lot, take these short passes, refuses to take any hits. He will give up on a play if it looks like he's going to get sacked and just go to the ground, and that's frustrating for fans to watch. There is going to be a little bit of frustration if they're unable to get healthy on the offensive side of the ball, but both defenses looked really good. I mean, Aaron Rodgers was nearly perfect passing, 27-35. I'm telling you, seeing him in person whip in the sidearm I mean, I've never really seen anything like that. Really, the the Patrick Mahomes before Patrick Mahomes it was really cool to see that they scored. They got out to a, it was a fourteen to nothing or fourteen to three lead. It was fourteen to three, and then the scoring just stopped. There was a couple turnovers, fumbles, and um, the Bucks were able to come back very last minute. Uh, they needed a touchdown and the two point conversion. They get the touchdown, and when just they're about to go for two, there's a delay game, and instead of at the two, they're taking the try from the seven. And what is ridiculous, inexcusable, all this with a chance to tie the game and send it to overtime. But with that being said, there is a good note in that we do have this week's installment of the Gene Deckerhoff Call of the Week. We miss Eugene calling Florida State games, but in his last year of his career calling the Buccaneers, here is the Gene Deckerhoff Call of the Week.
4: Lazard wide to the right, two receivers to the left. Now Lazard.
3: Hop, skip, and a jump. Looking that way. Rogers
5: throws a pass. Caught ball. Tow, Fumble, fumble.
3: It's a fumble, fumble. Recovered by the Buccaneers. Recovered.
2: And that is courtesy of the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers radio network, 98 Rock, and all that. Gene Deckerhoff on the call. Uh, that was the uh, fumble recovery in the end zone right before halftime, but uh, Buck's not able to do anything with the ball. From an outsider perspective, I'll ask you guys this, because maybe I'm just a little bit too close to the situation. Are are you alarmed at all by a loss like this, where you score twelve points? Does Tom I, Tom Brady looks like he's forty five years old right now?
3: Well, we've always talked about the Jimmies and Joes, uh, lacking your best three wide receivers. I think is somewhat of a valid excuse. Uh, I was kind of surprised, in Aaron Rodgers and the Packers not, yeah, hammering down. Uh, that that was the be- biggest takeaway for me for for the Buccaneers to have a shot there at the end. Um, like you said, Bucks. Two yards of carry, atrocious. I mean, by any pee wee football, that's atrocious. Uh, So, I think for them to stay in that game the entire way, I'm optimistic as a Bucks fan, despite despite their record at the moment.
2: Packers have a really, really good defense. They have a strong defensive front, and we know they have a couple cornerbacks who are considered, you know, Pro Bowl, borderline All Pro level. And when you're, you know, two leading receivers, Russell Gage, and then your tight end, Cameron Brate. Yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be tough sledding. Uh, the, the Bucks they get Kansas City on Sunday night in Tampa Bay, but that game looks like it's going to get moved uh, somewhere else because it looks like Hurricane Ian is going straight to the Tampa Bay area. So um, that, that might be a thing to keep an eye on to see if, if that game gets moved. But two teams that lost because Kansas City lost to uh, Indianapolis, so that they're both looking for a win in a, in a pretty intense way. So that's the sunshine slate, that the three teams in the state of Florida that are all in first place. As I said, Florida teams combined seven and two, so everything is going well on that side of things. One of the uh, things that I want to talk about the Denver Broncos. They won on Sunday night against the 49ers by a score of 11 to 10. I mean, I guess you could say it was the safety that made the difference in the score, but Nathaniel Hackett. The, the head coach he was the offensive coordinator for Green Bay I think Denver hiring him to try and lure maybe Russell Wilson or maybe Aaron Rodgers or some of those quarterbacks that were out on the open market but in through three weeks 16 points 16 points 11 points as their out, offensive output with um, Russell Wilson and Jerry Judy and all these offensive weapons is Nathaniel Hackett in over his head uh, I guess I'll just ask the question
3: to be honest, I think so. I It's just there hasn't been the production that you'd like to see, uh, and especially when you're supposed to let Russ cook. Russ, Russ isn't cooking, and and I think Russell Wilson's a great quarterback. And, you know, they have someone like a Jerry, Jerry Judy. And uh, I forget his name. I apologize. It's off the top of my head. There are other receivers. Cortland Sutton. Yes. Yes, thank you. Uh, when you have those weapons, you should be able, and, and Melvin Gordon as well, uh, running the football, you should be able to have a, a decent offensive production. And, uh, you know, maybe they, they turn some things around. Maybe they, they get the scheme going differently in the next few weeks. But uh, from what I've seen, to not be able to game plan uh, for three straight weeks, to be able to score more than 16 points uh, in the NFL in a passing league, uh, not boding too well for me.
2: Yeah, I mean they're tied for first place. The AFC West, Kansas City is also 2 and 1, so they're hanging around, but I don't I don't see how this team hangs with the Chiefs. Their defense is very good. This was the first game, first full game with uh, for San Francisco. With Jimmy Garoppolo at quarterback now that Trey Lance is is out for the year with ankle surgery, that's a whole story in and of itself. Niners are one and two. Interested to see if they'll hang around in the NFC West, and uh, maybe in, in a few weeks from now when they're further along, we can kind of identify that. But that tough offensive output for them. It was uh, the safety interception by by Garoppolo.
3: Do they allow the scooters into the, into the clubs? Can Trey Lance still be able to go to the club on a on a scooter? <laughs> Keep the
2: PG. I, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure they'll find a way. Um, yeah, the, referencing after that, that loss against the Bears, um, going straight to, to the nightlife. After he did the it game. really fast. Yeah, yeah, he was there. Yeah, what was it like? Within it was like, like 25 minutes, minutes or something like that, game. dude. He's he was spending his money wisely so far. Very wisely. Yeah, uh, I think he's played like uh, what was it? Like eight games in a thousand days or something crazy like that, and he's gonna miss another year. Trey Lance, we're talking about. Um, but last story I want to hit for the NFL, and then we'll call it a night. Uh, Monday Night Football of the game is kicking off in moments. Cowboys at Giants, and uh, Giants are two and zero. But for the Cowboys, they've got Cooper Rush. Dak Prescott is going to be out for another few weeks, and um, G- there was Jerry Jones said uh, he just threw it out there. If Cooper Rush plays well, I don't know, maybe have a quarterback controversy. Um, but they look good with Cooper Rush against Cincinnati. They're one and zero with him. He won a game last year in a spot start. Um, so a Cowboys team that a lot of people were ready to write off after a bad Sunday night showing against the Bucs in Week 1 are suddenly hanging around. They're playing a Giants team with a good record. I don't know how good they are. Um, the Eagles are good in the NFC East, but but what do we think about Dallas right now? Do they have a chance with Cooper Rush to, to stay relevant?
3: Well, I mean, they, they there's a reason they chose Cooper Rush over Will Greer, and we all know Will Greer was maybe one of the greatest what-ifs in college football history. I mean, just... A, a stellar athlete. Um, there's a reason they chose Cooper Rush, uh, and Dak Prescott. He's a great quarterback. Um, very, very good. But is he a top five quarterback? Mm, I don't. You think so?
2: No, I. No. I, I, yeah,
3: I mean. So, um, I think this this Cowboys offense has a chance to succeed. Uh, and I'm not saying Cooper Rush is you know the top 30 quarterback in the NFL, but uh, they have a chance to succeed. Because if Cooper Rush can make the throws, you know, hand the ball off <laughs> properly, uh, I think the Cowboys with their defense, especially with Micah Pittman, excuse, excuse me, with um, Micah, Parsons. Micah Parsons, they'll have a shot to, to be in any game.
2: Yeah, and again, that, that game is uh, will be coming on momentarily if you're listening to us live. Uh, but that is going to do it. For this week, got a chance to talk a little bit more, so I was happy to do that. Before William Haynes, Jackson Bankage, Amanda Golson, uh, Ian Hughes. Hope everyone is safe this week. Hopefully the Noles are able to roll uh, to 5-0 and against Wake this weekend. But this has been Tomahawk Talk, and you are listening now to 89.7 FM,
4: WVFS, Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State.